Okay, we are in continuing in Genesis, and we're going to do two chapters, uh, basically because chapter 36 is a whole lot of really hard names. And so uh, we're going to do two verses out of chapter 36, but I want you to remember where we are, because we're making a major shift. We saw in the first part of Genesis, it was all about God's creation. And then we saw a guy by the name of Noah. And then it shifted, and we saw a guy by the name of Abraham. And we followed Abraham for a while, and Abraham died. And he had a son named Isaac. And the blessing came through Isaac, and we saw Isaac die last week. His sons, Jacob and Esau, buried him. And, at the, and then we see uh, in 36 is going to be the story of Esau. And we'll get to, we'll, we'll look at 36, but I want you to understand that as we go along, God is constantly shifting and showing how, and all of these were perfect people, right? Oh, yeah. You know, they're mucking up right and left. And God continues to use them. And even in times when we think, well, wow, God didn't like that guy very much. He took the blessing away from him. Remember what happened with Jacob and Esau when they were being born? God says, well, the, the older is going to serve the younger. Esau is going to serve Jacob. And you say, how fair is that? Well, I want you to turn to Genesis 36 and we'll see how fair that was. Genesis chapter 36, and all of this is based, I want you to look at, at three verses. Genesis 36, and I want you to look at 6 through 8. The rest of it is a whole lot of hard names. We're not going to go there. But 6 through 8, yeah, you just wanted to see how good my, my pronunciation, right? Now, if you want to do that, you listen to James Earl Jones as he does the audio Bible, and he does a really good job with it. So, 36.6. Then Esau took his wives and his sons and his daughters and all his household and his livestock and all his cattle and all his goods, which he had acquired in the land of Canaan, and went to another land away from his brother Jacob, for their property had become too great for them to live together. And the land where they sojourned were not, could not sustain them because of their livestock. So Esau lived in the hill country of Seir, and Esau is Edom. Esau will become a country by the name of Edom. But I want you to look at what God did for Esau. Here he is at the end of his life. His brother Jacob had, had deceived him out of his birthright and his blessing. And you would think, oh man, that's terrible. But at the, in some ways, God so blessed Esau even greater than he blessed Jacob. Esau never had to run away. Esau never had to start over. God, even though Jacob had stolen his birthright. Where did he end up at the end of his life? 
He had everything that was his father's. He got everything that would have been his birthright because God had blessed Jacob also while he was away. And it says that their pro- all of their animals were so great they couldn't live together. Isn't that a good problem to have? Esau had all that. Now I want you to think about this. One of the things we looked at last time was the fact that Jacob never saw his mother again. Jacob never saw Rebekah again. But what did Esau get to do? Esau stayed and he got to see his parents. All of those 20 years that Jacob was gone, he was able to be there for his parents. And that's a blessing, folks. There's a lot of people that they move away and they never get to see their parents in their latter years and they they have great regret. Jacob never got to see his mother again, but Esau did. Esau was the one that buried Rebekah. Esau and his father, Isaac, buried Rebekah, but not Jacob. Esau was blessed by God, even though he was kind of a rebellious guy, right? When, when he saw that, that they had a favoritism towards Jacob, he ran out and married the Canaanite women to spite them. But somehow, somewhere along the way, God worked in his heart because what happened when Esau and Jacob came back together? Esau said, come brother. The one who when he had left home said, I'm going to kill you, said, I forgive you. Come. Let me, come share with me. Let me take care of you. And, and he restored that relationship. Did you know God's the restorer of relationships? If you've got a broken relationship out there, give it to God. Let God restore that relationship because that's what, he doesn't want fractured relationships. He is all about restoring relationships. And Esau ended his life moving away. Down south, he went farther. He went closer to Egypt. It's going to be kind of his, that's where he's going to wind up. We're going to see a kingdom called Edom. And 400 years from now, there's going to be a problem with the Israelites. But that's going to be, God's going to make Esau his own nation. God took care of Esau. And that's what chapter 36 is about now. I want you to turn over to 37. Because we're going to introduce a new character We've seen him mentioned, but the rest of Genesis, more of Genesis is written about Joseph than any other character in the entire book of Genesis. More than Abraham, more than the, the, than the event of creation, more than Isaac, more than Jacob. All of the rest of Genesis is about Joseph. And so we're going to be introduced to him and his journey, and Joseph has an amazing journey. So turn to 37, and let's read the first two verses. Now Jacob lived in the the land where his father had sojourned in the land of Canaan, and these are the records of the generation of Jacob. And we're going to stop there. Now that word sojourn is another word for stranger. 
He lived as a stranger in the land of Canaan. And you know, we live in a day when we should be strangers. We should be strangers in a land where we don't belong. And Jacob lived as a stranger in the land. And I would suggest that we need to live as a stranger in the land because if we get too used to what's around us, if we get too used to all of the idols, wasn't that one of Jacob's problems? All the people around him worshipped idols? Well, if we look at what God says about us, we should be living as strangers. 1 Peter 2, 9-12 says this, But you are a chosen race. He's talking to who? He's talking to us. We're the church. This is not to Israel. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And he's not talking about the physical nation of America or any other nation. He's talking about the church, the people of God's own possessions, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of the darkness into the marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You have not, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers. Isn't that interesting? He tells us you're a new, you're a new country, you're a new nation, you're a new people, you are the church of God. And you are aliens and strangers in this world. And look what he says. To abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slandered you as evildoers, they may because of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God in the day of visitation. How are we to live before the world? The world ought to be able to look at you and say, wow, they weren't so great before God came into their life. But look at how they've changed. God should be changing our life, right? And it's not just, oh yeah, God changed me when I got saved. This should be an ongoing thing in our life that God is changing us every single day so that we're more like him as we move through this world. And we're to live, how? As aliens and strangers. There's a, there's a song I absolutely love. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My Treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I don't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Amen? That's the way we should be engaging the world. Not that we don't 
engage with people, not that we don't go out and hold a job, not that we don't go out, but all the time that we're doing that, our place is where? It's in heaven. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust does not destroy. That's where we need. You're going to live here on this earth. Well, some of us, some some of you might make it to to 90, 95. June Willingham almost made it a few days short of 100. That's a long time to live on this earth. But how is it in the perspective of heaven? Eternity. It's a blip on the radar of eternity. Yes, we're going to live, but we're going to live in eternity. And I want to be living on this earth like I'm already there. Like I've already, because I already have a place to live. Jesus went and prepared a place for me, right? He's already, he's already got it ready for me. My address is already in heaven. He already paid the price for my sin. Everything's taken care of. He's just waiting for me to move. Waiting for that day when he says, hey, the moving truck's coming, but you're not going to have anything to put in it. It's going to be a chariot. And it's going to bring you up to heaven. And I've got everything you need. Wouldn't you like to... So anybody, how many of you have moved before? Right? You know, that especially last time we moved, we, we hired movers. Right? But most of us, sometime in our, in our life, we got this idea we were going to save a whole lot of money by calling Mr. U-Haul. Right? And then we get the big, the big one, the 24-footer, because we got lots of stuff. And you start loading it in and loading it in. And, and then you get there and you got to unload it all. And I still got, we moved seven years ago and I have boxes in my shop that still have not been opened. Right? Because, because you never know when you might need it. Well, I got news for you. When God calls you home, he's not going to send the moving truck. Because you don't need anything here on earth. He's got it all for you in heaven. He said, live as strangers and aliens down here. So when you leave, there's not going to be, people are going to say, wow. Look at what, not what they had, not what they owned, but what they did. The good deeds. So that when they observe them, they glorify God in the day of their visitation. In that day when, when you, everybody stands around and say, wow, he's gone. They may say, wow, he's gone. But more likely they're going to say, hopefully what they're saying is what? Well, I remember the time he taught my Sunday school class. I was a third grade boy. And he told about Jesus and I came to know Jesus. I remember the time that he came and visited me in Ecuador. And, and he, he blessed me there. I remember the time. That's what we should be leaving behind, those good deeds. Well, let's, let's move on. In Genesis uh, 37, 3 and 4. Now Israel, remember who this is? Jacob got his name changed, right? 
His name is now Israel. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a very colored tunic. I, I need to back up. Let me read the last half of verse 2. Joseph, when he was 17 years of age, was pastoring the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Not a great way to start, right? And now Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a multicolored tunic. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, and so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. Wow. Anybody know a family like that? And don't punch each other in the ribs. Wow. Favoritism. Partiality. When we fought. And Jacob saw that in his own life. Israel saw that between him and Esau. Remember what it said in Genesis 25, 28? Now Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. He saw his two parents pit the two brothers against each other. They had different ones, and, and that causes so much turmoil in families. Proverbs 24, 23 says, these are also the saying of the wise, to show partiality and judgment is not Good. It's not good. When we see partiality in families, it can ruin families. It did with, I mean, look what happened with Jacob and Esau. They had, it wasn't until they were adult men that God was able to bring them back together and resolve their differences. They lost all of that time together because parents showed partiality. Well, I, want, I also want to think about another family. It's called the family of God. You ever seen partiality in the church? You ever seen where, oh, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang out with these folks because, they, because I like them. They believe the way I believe. Or they, they do the things I like to do. And we get and the church begins, well, the pastor likes these people better than he likes these people. You ever heard that? And people get partiality within the church. And they get to, what happens when you show partiality? A little bit of bickering shows up. Well. And we get our feelings hurt. And they said, well, I'm not going to talk with them. Or, or the other thing that happens, the other partiality that happens in church, we really like our group. Matter of fact, we like our group so much, we don't want to share it with anybody else. You see, our group's going to, we're, we're going to do this together, we're going to do that together. And then you get somebody new comes in the church. Well, well our groups, we, we, don't, we don't need any more people in our group. 
You're, you know, somebody else can take those folks. And we got new people that come in and they're like, and we should be doing what? What? Praying them in, bringing them in, asking them. Well, our group's going out to lunch today. How about if one of you out of this group says, you know what? There's a new family over here, and I want to take them. It's called the gift of hospitality. I want to take these new folks, and I want to find out who they are. Because you know what? I might like them better than my old group. You never really know until you try. And, and we can show partiality within the church, and it ruins the church. Well, I'm not going to dwell on that any longer because we've got a long way to go. Genesis 37, 5 through 11. Joseph has a dream. Then Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brother, they hated him even more. And he said to them, Please listen to my dream which I have had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf rose up and also stood erect, and behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheep. And then his brother said to him, Are you actually going to reign over us? Are you really going to rule over us? And so they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And now he had another dream. And he related it to his brothers. And he says, Lo, I had still another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. And he related it to his father and to his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you've had? Shall I and my mother and your brothers actually come and bow down ourselves before you on the ground? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. You need to know your audience. Jacob was already in trouble with his brothers. Remember back in verse 2, he had given the bad report to dad. He was kind of like dad's little undercover agent, Joseph was. And he had given a bad report. You know, you ever had the tattletale? Anybody go to school with one of those? Right? I mean, I was all, I, I seemed to have a lot of excess energy in school. And I could always find something to do to entertain myself that was probably a little bit farther over the edge than it was supposed to be. And there was always somebody in the class. Mrs. So-and-so, Betty's over here playing up, he's on top of the jungle gym. Make him get down. Right? Nobody likes tattletales. Well, the brothers didn't either. And, and, and so Joseph probably should have just kept his dreams to himself. Because every time he opened his mouth with his brothers, I don't imagine it was like in great humility. Oh, I had a dream, and, and guys, you know, listen, this is really, really so that the fact that, that you know, one of these days, I'm going to save you guys. What did it say? You're going to rule over us? Well, was it correct? Was the dream true? 
Absolutely, we're going to see that. The dream was absolutely true. It was sent from God. But just because it's true, do we have to say it? There are times when we just need to keep our mouth shut. Even if it's true, you're not going to make things better by what you say. The other day somebody was saying, what's the greatest advice you ever got? And I wrote this. It's better to keep your mouth shut and be thought a fool than open it and remove all doubt. Sometimes we just need to be quiet. Proverbs 12, 18 says, There is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. We can do that pretty easily. We're, you know, you're, you know, you're a Christian and there are times that we're on the mountaintop and God's blessing. This happens with preachers. I, I occasionally go out and have breakfast with different preachers and we encourage each other. And, uh, and one, of the, you know, one of the easy things to do is, oh man, you wouldn't believe what's going on at our church. We've got, we've got visitors coming every Sunday. We've got people that are getting saved. We've got this, uh, this going on and that going on. And they're sitting over there going, well, my church is under attack. Half of my elders left. I've got dissension in the church. Well, wait a second, but let me tell you about how good. No. You don't know what's going on in their life. One of the best things I can tell you is when you go to see somebody, go to have coffee with somebody, sit down with somebody, first thing you should do is, how are you doing? How are you doing? You know how you're doing. And whether it's you've got a lot of good things to say or you, you've just been being kicked down to the curb, how are they doing? Put the emphasis on them. Find out what's going on in their life first. The tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 12, 27 says, The prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of the fools proclaim folly. Sometimes you need to, you need to take the reins in a little bit, right? You need to slow down a little bit. Jacob or Joseph really could have used that advice when it came to these dreams. It certainly didn't help him because in 37, 12 to 24, and I'm just going to summarize this part of it. Daddy sends the boys with the sheep, the older boys, all to go up. Now, I say older boys, okay, remember? How old is Joseph? He's 17. So all of the older boys are all much older than he. They're, Reuben's the oldest. And they're all older than, Jacob, than Joseph is. And he sends all of those guys off with the sheep and the animals, and they, they move north. He says, you need to go north. Now, where did, interestingly enough, if you watch this passage, they end up, they're going to Shechem. What happened the last time they were in Shechem? They killed all the males because of what had happened with Diana. Shechem was not a good place for them to be. But Joseph, or Jacob sends them off up with the sheep 
And then he says one day, he says, listen, I want you to go and I want you to check on your brothers. Well, how did that work out last time in verse 2? But he sends them on up and, and Joseph takes off and he gets, gets up to Shechem and they're not there. They're not where they're supposed to be. And he's looking around. And, and the, ver, the verse says he's kind of standing out in the middle of the field and somebody comes and says, what, who are you looking for? Well, I mean, herds and herds of sheep this size and donkeys and camels are not going to be hard to miss. And the guy says, oh, they were here, but they ate, all the, they ate everything up. And so they went up to Dothan. Went farther north. So he goes up to Dothan. Now we saw that Jacob made him what? Israel made Joseph, what did he make for him? The multicolored jacket. The coat of many colors, as Dolly Parton wrote the song. Right? Wonderful song, wonderful story. He made him a coat he made, that was, it was a full length tunic. It's what you wore on the outside. Quite often, all it would have had would, would be a neck hole, and it would have been open at the sides, but it says it's multicolored. And as we can see in the, in the background here, it would have been visible for a long ways. Because mostly, what did they do? They just, they just took a piece of, of fabric that had been woven that would have been one color, they put it on and they put a belt around their waist and that was it. But here's Jacob in his multicolored tunic and they saw him a long ways off. Now these, these brothers remember what their past is. They hate Jacob or they hate Joseph. They hate Joseph because he's a tattletale. His dreams are that you're going you're gonna to bow down before me. These guys already have a history of retribution in which they killed a whole village and they see him coming. And they, what'd they say? Okay, we got him now. He's far away from home. They're, they're probably a week or more away from home. We're going to kill him. And Reuben, the oldest brother, who's trying to get back in the good graces of dad because of his misbehavior, says, listen guys, don't kill him. Throw him in the pit. Let him die of starvation or dehydration. Just throw him in the pit over there. Thinking, I'll rescue him and I'll send him home and I'll deal with the guys later. But I don't want to have to deal with dad if Joseph is killed. And we come to uh, an interesting set of verses. I want you to turn now to, to verse 25 to 28. 25 to 28. And I want you to see who these guys are. They've taken Joseph. They've thrown him in the pit. And verse 25 says this. Then they sat down to eat a meal. And as they raised their eyes and looked, behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites were coming from Gilead with their camels bearing aromatic gum and balm and myrrh on their way to bring them down to Egypt. And Judah says to his brother, What profit is it to us if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? 
Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh, and his brothers listen to him. And then some Midianite traders passed by, and they pulled him up and lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold him to to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And thus they brought Joseph to Egypt. Did you catch that very first sentence? They throw the brother in the pit to starve to death, and then what do they do? Then they sat down to eat a meal. Whoop, it's lunchtime. You ever watch the cartoon? The, the two sheep dog, right? Whoop, it's lunchtime. Coyote takes a break. Right? The sheep dog takes a break to sit down and have lunch. That's, that's who these guys are. They have no remorse. They have no guilt. Hey, I'm getting hungry. My tummy's growling. Let's sit down and have something to eat. Joseph's in the background going, Guys, let me out! They just have some time. I'm going to go have lunch. Sin causes a seared conscience. These guys had sinned so much in their life that they didn't care anymore. Matter of fact, the only thing that's, that it, it, for them is greed. Hey, ha, look at the traitors. Let's sell him. Let's, get, let's don't kill him. Let's make some money out of this deal. The almighty dollar. Daddy doesn't pay us enough to mine these sheep. We want a little bit extra money in our pocket. A sin causes a seared conscience. 1 Timothy 4, 2, 1 and 2 says, But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by the means of hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. This is talking about believers. Believers.